Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, 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 guys. Welcome to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. If you're new here, my name is Sif and I'm the founder of Icing and Glitter, which is a blog, Instagram page and YouTube channel. So if you follow me on Instagram, you'd have seen that I was just in New York recording a whole bunch of interviews for the podcast, so I'm really excited about the content that's coming your way. Today's guest is Elisa Vitti, female biohacker, hormone expert, and founder of Flow Living, which is a company that's helped so many women, including myself, figure out how to control their hormones. I read her first book, Woman Code, like three years ago, and it completely changed my life. It's a book on the female body and hormones, and before I read it, I had no idea about the intricacies of the menstrual cycle. Did you know we have four phases in our menstrual cycle? I knew about my period and ovulation, and that was about it. I didn't realize that being on the pill had actual consequences since it was prescribed to me like Skittles, and that skin health is linked to hormones. Her book was like the sex ed class I never got, and now she's come up with a brilliant new book, which I'm almost done reading, and holy shit, it'll change your life. Having Elisa on the podcast is actually a pretty special moment for me, considering she was one of the people I wanted to speak to before I even started a podcast. I have been hounding her team for about a year and was just one step shy of personally stalking her before it all fell into place. (laughs) Thank God. Guys, this interview is phenomenal. And if you can do yourself one favor, please read her book. Listen to this interview and read her book. And I promise you, your life will change. Before we dive into this conversation, I want to tell you about how I manage stress, especially when I'm traveling for work and have like 10 different podcast interviews to record. My secret weapon is Array's Calm Alchemy Capsules. It's 100% natural, completely filler-free, and organic. It contains one of my favorite ingredients, magnesium, which is basically nature's Xanax. I take two before going to bed for the best sleep ever, and sometimes I'll take one during the day if I'm really freaking out about something. The great thing is it doesn't make you drowsy. It just relaxes you. Use the code DREAMBIGGER at checkout for 10% off. And with that, let's welcome Elisa to the Dream Bigger podcast. Okay, so to start, you are a specialist on hormones and I'm obsessed with you. Oh. <laughs> um, so tell everyone how you got here 
all about your background, just for the person that doesn't know anything. So I was someone who was always passionate about women's health, and I found myself at Johns Hopkins, you know, leaning towards becoming an OBGYN when I myself at a young age... um, you know, well, leading up to going to to college, I was having all sorts of hormonal issues that no one could diagnose. So, you know, my, my puberty years were not normal and no one could tell me why, but I went to the doctor and got these vague answers and, you know, maybe just go on the pill. And, uh, like and what were what were the problems? I I wasn't developing, you know, the way that other girls were developing. So I looked in a lot of ways androgynous for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, breasts weren't developing. I didn't get my period until I was uh, three months shy of turning 16. Wow. And then that from 12 to 22, I only got my period a total of six times two of which were chemically induced with synthetic progesterone, which if anyone's done that, you know how hellacious that is. Um, And so again, was just given this sort of rhetoric of, oh, it sometimes it takes a while for your period to stabilize and, you know, just don't worry about it. But meanwhile, I knew something was off. I felt like something was off. And I kept articulating that to everyone who would listen, but I was given no answers. And then the symptoms got progressively worse. The acne sort of exploded all over my face, chest, and back. The weight crept up to the point where um, at my peak, I was 210 pounds. I was depressed. I was anxious. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't wake up in the morning. I couldn't function in my life. And I was being told that there was nothing wrong with me. Clearly, something was very wrong. So I was very fortunate to be at Johns Hopkins because um, they have a pretty extraordinary library there and a bunch of great research materials. And so I, since I couldn't sleep... And I certainly wasn't getting any dates on a Saturday night with all the symptoms I had going on. I, you know, found myself doing as much research as I could. And in one of these um, obstetrics journals, I found sort of the, like a, an article that, that really described my symptoms to a T. And I immediately said this it just rang all the bells this is what I have this is exactly what I'm going through so I excitedly took it to my gynecologist the next morning and said I really want to do the tests that would confirm this as my diagnosis I'm certain this is what it is so we did those tests she confirmed the diagnosis thank you very much and I said great now what do we do? You know, I was actually happy, even though it was not a great yeah, thing to have. Well, it's it, like it, at least relieving, you know. Like it you wasn't know. in my head. It yeah. wasn't because I lacked uh, discipline or willpower or couldn't find the right skin treatments. <sighs> um, it was that I had an endocrine disorder and hormonal imbalance, and I had something called polycystic ovarian syndrome, which many women have. One in ten. Every other person I speak to has it these days. It's It's wild. It's getting, it's becoming more problematic because we do have more endocrine disruptors in our environment that are really disrupting women's systems and PCOS is a, is can be caused by that. Right. So when I sat down with her and I said, what can we do? She said, we have nothing for you. And I just thought that that was, um, not great. You know, I just (laughs) thought, I just thought really we can do, 
you know, and she was a, a Hopkins trained GYN and I grew up in Massachusetts. So my first gynecologist was a Harvard trained GYN. I mean, I went to the top of the best medical professionals one could have access to. And I was being told that there was nothing to be done, but that my symptoms would get progressively worse. I would likely be ending up with diabetes, infertility, heart disease, and cancer. And there's nothing they can do. And they would just medicate me along the way to manage symptoms, but there was no cure. Oh, goody. And, That's you what know, everyone wants to hear. At, at a young age, I mean, I think I was 21, yeah. 20 or 21, um, I just didn't want that to be my future. And I, I told her that I wasn't going to take medication that wasn't going to cure me. That just seemed like bad medicine and a bad treatment protocol. And that I was going to go take my very expensively trained mind and figure this out. And that is precisely what I did. I dove into research on epigenetics and functional nutrition. And this is 20 years ago before functional medicine was even a term in our yeah. zeitgeist. Um, uh, uh, just dove into absolutely everything to figure out how can I use food to recalibrate and, and supplements to recalibrate endocrine function and the glandular function within the endocrine system so that I could give my body what it needed so that it could do its job of restoring balance. Because that was the difference, right? If you look at it from traditional endocrinology, like if anyone has had a thyroid issue, right? You say, oh, thyroid levels are off. Your TSH is not where it wants to be. Let's give you synthetic thyroid hormone to raise your levels. Now, sometimes that is absolutely what you need to do. But that's, um, that's like a math equation, right? If levels are lower than desired or higher than desired, take medication to compensate for that. The problem is, whereas that works sometimes really well for the thyroid because it's sort of this singular issue. When you're talking about something like PCOS or endometriosis or fibroids or PMDD or any of these sort of bigger menstrual disorders, it isn't just one hormone that's off. It's the entire concert of hormones and mm -hmm. organs mm -hmm. that are not functioning properly. So that mathematical approach doesn't really work because and it's not addressing the root cause either right exactly like, it's not fixing what has yeah, gone off yeah. center and like i think our bodies are smart like they're obviously telling us something like this is just like a red light you know and like i'm glad you guinea pigged yourself so like what what happened like so i i just started um i i really understood that the endocrine system has a particular order in which it needs to be approached in order for you to sort of unlock its function or restore its function and the first thing you have to do is stabilize your blood sugar if you don't do that if you mess that up during the day like which people do all the time at breakfast, you will not have the ability to have optimal blood glucose levels and insulin levels until you reset while you're sleeping. So the whole day is a day where you will be disrupting your blood sugar levels and that will have an impact on your endocrine function as a whole. So, you know, you could do everything else right. You could take your, I don't know, liver detoxifying herbs, or you could take your supplements. But if you don't give that basic support to the endocrine system, it won't get you where you want to go. And so then, you know, that's the first step. And then I moved on to the other couple of steps and I watched my body 
really um, transform. I mean, certainly the physical changes were pretty profound, you know. So you lost the weight, obviously. I lost the weight uh, without the deprivation that, you know, is the rhetoric of like, if you want to lose weight, you have to starve yourself and work out like crazy. Don't even get me started. You know, restrict calories to an extreme and, and work out really intensely. And I did not do that Mm. at all. Um, and then my skin, I mean, if I tell you the kind of skin I used to have, I actually found a photo, um, a physical photo, because this is that long ago before digital photos. (laughs) And so I'm going to, I'm going to scan it and put it up because it's crazy. The amount of acne that I had just everywhere in different kinds. I actually cannot, like I'm looking at you and guys, like the first thing I said, I know that is the first thing you said. (laughs) It's like unbelievable because I've read I've read your book yeah. and like I'm looking at your skin and I was like I, I can't believe you're a woman who used to have skin issues. You are glowing. Thank you. I had you know all the T zone acne and the blackheads and then I had the cysts on my chin and my cheeks. Stop cysts on my chest and back. <gasps> it would take me a half an hour. I used to use. I remember this vividly prescriptives that brand prescriptives I don't even know if it still exists I no longer shop at department stores for makeup but um, prescriptives under eye concealer because regular foundation was not um, thick enough to cover the red so I would and it would take me a half an hour to stop spackle my face I it would take so long I would have to sit down because I was also dealing with all the weight issues so like standing up for a half an hour to just do makeup became a problem so you essentially transformed your life the, it was remarkable to watch the body re- rebalance itself. Yeah, I You bet. know, I wasn't doing so much as I was actively stopping all the disruption that I had unknowingly been doing. Mm-hmm. And I took things out of my system that were disrupting. And so there's so much of that that we don't realize that we're doing that prevents our bodies from functioning optimally. So, yes, the skin cleared up, the weight came off, and most importantly my ovulation and my menstruation not only came back, but came back every month like clockwork and has been with me ever since, which has been a great joy. And oh, by the way, the, you know, you may never have children thing wasn't also an issue because I had my daughter five years ago and, you know, that was a beautiful thing. And we had her naturally on the third try and it was great. That's Um, amazing. So it's, it was, you know, I promised myself that if I could get well and prove my theory to be accurate, that you could actually use food and supplementation to rebalance the endocrine system and address menstrual issues naturally, that I would build a platform, a period positive platform that would help women like be walked through that process because I was alone I was isolated I was overwhelmed I was it was very disheartening at times and no woman should be left alone to suffer you know it's the 21st century we deserve more with our health care so flow living is that more Mm -hmm. in your health care equation right 
It doesn't replace going to the doctor. You got to go see your gynecologist. I love your gynecologist. They're doing what they're trained to do. And that is what you should expect from them. Mm -hmm. But they're not trained to use functional nutrition to help you deal with your hormonal issues. That's what we do at Flow Living for you. So if if you're dealing with those issues, just know that there's a place that you can go to from anywhere in the world. And I'm so proud to say that we have really literally touched women in every continent um, in places where women have even less access than in the Western Hemisphere. And uh, you can online learn about your hormones. You can get the support you need. You can get the products and the tools and the books and the content that you need to learn to educate yourself and to make the changes that your body needs for you to relieve your symptoms. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like, I recommend your book to literally like I was at a meeting this morning and I was recommending your book. Like I I'm obsessed with it. It honestly changed my life. And like before reading your book, I knew nothing about my body. And that's messed up because I was 25 years old when I read your book. I knew nothing about my period, the four stages, like menstrual stages. So I, and I only knew the word ovulation. Okay. And I didn't even know what it properly meant. Okay. Like something about an egg, like don't really know. Okay. So for someone who's, who is in my shoes like three years ago, like how can you like can you explain what those four stages of menstruation are like let's get into that a little bit yeah I mean let's just admit that sex ed class is so substandard for women I mean it's basically fear-mongering about getting pregnant and it's not empowering I mean if anything it's the opposite of empowering it's like you know hey you're gonna bleed once a month it's gonna be like this dirty thing yeah it's gonna be miserable I remember they handed us in my this was in sixth grade they handed us a brown paper bag, nondescript, and inside was like a box of pads and a box of tampons, but like oh a God. like a like a trial size, you know. Um, and that was it. And I remember also vividly that for whatever reason, there was some kid who turned green in the class because it was the day that they were talking about circumcision and male stuff. And he like passed out and had to be brought out of the class. Oh I have God. these like really powerful memories <laughs> of that of that class. It was a life changing moment because for me. So I grew up in an immigrant family and my parents didn't talk about, you know, you would think that, you know, now that I'm like the the pioneer of period period talk I don't don't know (laughs) Uh, whatever people want to call me but I certainly the period queen is something I've heard before Um, that you would imagine I would have grown up with like some sort of like you know earth mama mother who you know like gave me some sort of like period ritual like rite of passage (laughs) party or some dance yeah like you know wearing a red robe and doing all that kind of fun stuff which you know would have been really nice with maybe <laughs> but I did not I mean like it was the extreme opposite and in a way it was really beautiful because my my parents and my family there was like the absence of conversation so not only the absence of positive conversation but also the absence of negative conversation yeah. so I was totally innocent coming into the conversation of menstruation in sex ed class mm-hmm. and I literally remember that day hearing about this thing called a period that I was going to be able to have babies and that they grew in, because my mother told me that she grew me in the garden. (laughs) And like, I mean, I never believed her, but you know, there was like, I was not quite sure how this all went down. I was like totally gobsmacked at how amazing 
it was to be in a female body. And Mm. I was so excited that I was going to get a period. That was my authentic, innocent, unconditioned response to hearing this information. And I, I remember that feeling. And I remember looking around the, my class, you know, at my classmates, like, oh my, you know, like, like you know, those nonverbal things you would yeah. do with your friends in school, like, wow, this is so awesome. And they were all like various stages of nauseated, repulsed, the facial expressions were the extreme opposite of me. And I yeah. could, I had no point of reference because I had not been told that right. rhetoric about the curse, it's gonna be painful, I never heard a, I like literally never heard a drop about it. That's wild. And honestly, it was the biggest gift. Well, yeah, because then in your mind, it was not this like bad, Negative scary thing, thing right? And, and like, I was so excited about it that I, we, my three best friends, Kristen, Katie, and Melissa, we went out for recess right after that class and we sat down on this wall we used to sit on. I actually took a photograph of this wall and put it on my Instagram a couple of years ago. And I said, okay, girls. We are starting the period club. Honest to God. We are starting the period club and the period club has like two main functions. One, we're going to, you know, guess who's going to get their period first and predict. (laughs) And then second, we're going to like do bathroom checks throughout recess to see who maybe gets their period because we had no sense of like when it might happen, you know, so it's like waiting for like the holidays. It was like so exciting. And I really made it something I think obviously my enthusiasm for it outpaced those of my best friends, but I think they were, um, enchanted by the idea so I think they had a more positive experience yeah which is great um but I've been yeah really fascinated by this subject for a long time so periods your cycle yeah most of us just know about ovulation or bleeding ovulation we know about because we're afraid of getting pregnant and bleeding we know about because you know duh um so (laughs) what you need to know however is that you have Four hormonal patterns that take the whole month for you to go through. They affect you physiologically, so it affects both the the um, the ovaries, the uterus on a real t- like tactical level. But they also impact other systems of your body. It's not just about what's happening below the waist. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is the other big issue. And this is why I wrote my my new book, In the Flow because we have this um, very limited view about menstruation and we're not connecting the dots. So I'll I'll put a pin in that, but let's go through these phases. So you have the bleeding week, which, uh, you know, the first day people will say that's your day one of your cycle. And then on day 14, or approximately, because nothing is exact, it's all relative to what's normal for you, you will ovulate. And in between the bleeding week, which can last anywhere from four to seven days, you will have a period of, you know, somewhere between seven to 10 days of the follicular phase. And this is where levels of estrogens are stimulating the ovaries. It's like pre, pre-ovulation. Pre-ovulation to make, to mature eggs in the ovum. And one of which will be the star of the show for that month and re- be released during ovulation, which lasts between three and four days. And that egg will travel down the fallopian tube into the uterus where it will hang out in the endometrial lining, that lining will be stimulated by estrogen and progesterone, which will thicken the lining. 
And then when conception doesn't take place, estrogen and progesterone will decrease in concentration. This whole process of estrogen and progesterone increasing and decreasing is referred to the luteal phase. The luteal phase is another 10 to 12 days of the cycle. It's Mm -hmm. the longest phase within the menstrual cycle. It's very, very important. Um, And then again, when those hormones have reached their lowest level of concentration, the lining of the uterus is shed and that menstruation, that bleeding week starts again. So what, what do each of these phases really mean for the regular person? So I think here's a good opportunity for us to introduce the concept that's part of the new book. So, so for me, I wanted to, well, okay, I'll put a pin in it for one more time. Uh, So what it means for you is that you will experience changes in your metabolism, changes in your skin, changes in your energy, changes in your mood, um, changes in what you're interested in. Um, changes in your sex drive. And all of that is normal Mm -hmm. and healthy and nothing is wrong with you. And um, what I want you to be cognizant of is that it's very important to track your cycle. It's so important that I built an app that will help you do that. It's called MyFlow. But it's also important for you to track the symptoms so that you can learn, well, why do you have acne maybe during ovulation versus your friend who has acne the week before the bleed begins? Or why do you have acne both of those times, they're two different causes. So fascinating. And so if you, you know, as you track that on the MyFlow app, it will tell you why you're having, let's say, that symptom at that time and what you can do with food to begin to address the root cause of it. That it's the only functional medicine Mm -hmm. period tracker on on the planet. Um, Then it, you know, I think the other thing to be aware of is that we brush off PMS as, you know, oh, that's to be expected. Yeah, like suck it up. Yes. And I really want you to hear that that's a big no. That, in fact, if you have PMS, it's and if you have a friend who has PMS, you guys should grab each other by the shoulders and say, oh, my gosh, we have a hormonal problem that we have to take action on. Keep in mind, you've been conditioned from the jump, from a very young age, to believe this lie completely based on no actual scientific facts that you are destined to suffer, that your period is supposed to be painful, and that there's nothing you should do. This is a big toxic myth because then when you have symptoms, what do you think? You think, oh, just what they said, and I guess there's nothing to do, and then you take no action. And according to the biocycle study that the NIH published in, you know, 10 years ago, leaving PMS untreated in your reproductive years increases the likelihood that you're going to develop post-menopause the big diseases of inflammation, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, dementia. So we should not be joking about our PMS. And everyone wonders, oh, gee, women are developing dementia at greater rates than men. Why is it? Why, why, why? We are not taking care of an essential biological rhythm that I'm going to tell you about in a minute that leads us down this negative path. So if you have PMS in the luteal phase, I want you to learn what why you're having that. Mm-hmm. The app will tell you. The books will tell you. Right. The website will tell you. Um, and start to get into action. Any symptom you have, 
whether it be small PMS, garden variety PMS, to a, a diagnosed hormonal issue mm-hmm. like PCOS, fibroids, endometriosis, et cetera, you've got to get into action. And the sooner the better, the younger you are, the faster you will recover, yeah. right? Because you've had less time where these... Uh, it's like festered, essentially. You know, yeah, it... it uh, it gets into the wrong groove, mm-hmm. you know, your mm-hmm. endocrine function, and, and it, it, uh, it's like compounding interest at the bank. There's more to clean up the longer you leave it to stay a mess, right? Yeah. So one of the things that you're like quite vocal about is that as women, we just function differently to men. And I thought that that was actually like, it's a very empowering thing to hear because it made me realize that like, hmm, like I don't have to function the same way as like my brothers or my fiance just because, you know, like that's just not how my body is supposed to work. It doesn't mean that I'm any less productive or any less accomplished. It's just my body works differently. So I was wondering if you could speak on that and like maybe like get into like from there like PMS and like how we treat all these things because like that's like a big concept in your book, no? Like working with our hormones to sort of get things done so so I would say you know woman code is the book that I wrote that if you have any of these menstrual disorders you have a diagnosed condition that's the book that's going to help you get from uh, hormonal imbalance or what I call out of hormonal chaos back into hormonal flow um, where you're where you're just having a healthy cycle once you have a healthy cycle that is not the end of it right Totally. That's just the beginning. And that is why I wrote this this new book called In the Flow. Mm. And In the Flow, I wrote it for two reasons. One, because I want you to know how to leverage your hormones outside of just your period. But also because I've been taking care of women's periods now for 20 years. And let's just say in the past five years, for example, you ca- we can all agree that through the internet and more media outlets, like there's been more content around women's health issues than Mm -hmm. any time in human history. Mm -hmm. So the logical thought is more content, more act plus more access should equal more healthy women. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't seeing that in my practice. And I started to do some digging into the research and it turns out that 50% of women, 50% of women are suffering with menstrual, hormonal, and autoimmune issues. And when I compared that to the male cohort, it's like less than 10% of men are suffering with hormonal imbalances. That's wild. And I said, why? Why is it so bad for us? You know, yeah, maybe we're more sensitive to endocrine disruptors, but that can't be it because men are just as sensitive to endocrine disruptors. And we know that because precocious puberty is on the rise now in teenage boys. It used to just be affecting teenage girls at large rates, but now it's pretty much across the board. So I said, so why is it worse for women? What is really, what are we missing? And what I dug up was just shocking. It's two things. One, women are being left out of medical, fitness, and nutrition research. Really? Really. So that means that like, for example, when you go under general anesthesia, you are being dosed as if you have a a BMI of a very small man. This is such a problem that at the medical establishment is well aware this is a problem. 
um, that in 1996, the National Institute of Health put out a special task force committee to encourage researchers to include younger women in human clinical trials. Unfortunately, the 2016 status report showed that progress has been slim to none. So we still are being left out of this research, which is, of course, you know, answers the question, why is it that there's still no adequate health care for women with PCOS, fibroids, endometriosis? I mean, what was it? Lena Dunham was talking about how she went 10 years without a diagnosis. I mean, I went seven, but she's younger than me. So you would think that even by now that we would accelerate the time to diagnosis. Mm -hmm. 10 years yeah, she insane. suffered. And I would say she's sort of a, a, a hormonal martyr of the modern age. I mean, she's a young woman who's had a complete hysterectomy uh, because there's no research and no treatments being created for half of the population who is suffering with these issues. It's unacceptable. Yeah. Then we look at the fitness and nutrition side of the equation. And this is, an, uh, again, a root cause of why is it so many women are sick? Well, if we are hearing in any wellness media that like, oh, intermittent fasting is the gold standard of now of like eating the right way and, and preventing aging and blah, blah, blah. And high intensity interval training is the best way for you to burn fat and build lean muscle and that's what you gotta do every day, right? And women are doing that every day because we're good girls and we want to do the right thing, right? Which that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> turns out you should know, you should all be aware that um, the research that came out on intermittent fasting and high-intensity interval training and keto and you name it has only been done on men and postmenopausal women. Mm. But it is being shared with you as if it is applicable to you. There is not adequate transparency or disclosure in the reporting to say, oh, these studies were done on men, and the little bit of studies that we do have for women in their reproductive years actually show the complete opposite effect. So let's say intermittent fasting we know improves insulin sensitivity, improves cognitive health, reduces cellular aging. Well, for women in their reproductive years, guess what? It worsens insulin sensitivity. It mm. decreases cognitive performance. And it, um, for example, shrinks your ovaries. Whoa. High-intensity interval training, if you do that every day, every single day of the month, if you do it at the wrong time in your cycle, the research is very conclusive. You will turn on fat storage. Wait, wait, wait. So when... I'll get to it. I promise. Okay. <laughs> I promise. That's why I had to write an entire 400-page book on this. Yeah, no kidding. This is so critical. We're missing, we're do, we're, we are actively disrupting our systems because we're using uh, diet and fitness plans that are, are optimizing for male biology, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which led me to the second, you know, I said, well, still, okay, but what's the salient difference between men and women from this biological point of view? And it, it was really exciting to sort of uncover it. So we have a second biological rhythm yeah. that men don't have. It's called the infradian rhythm, infradian, I-N-F-R-A-D-I-A-N. And ladies, the way out of all this suffering is in. 
in Freudian, okay? <laughs> so here's the, here's the situation. We all know about the circadian rhythm. We experience it over the course of one day. Yeah. Male hormonal biological rhythm follows the circadian rhythm exactly. So they wake up with their, all their testosterone, all, the, right. all their cortisol, and they should wake up Early as, po- as early as possible, get in a workout, have sex if someone is willing to have sex with them, do as much work as they can in the morning because by three o'clock, all that testosterone and cortisol is now down to its lowest levels and really all they should be doing at that time is like socializing, networking, happy hour, and then come home to the man cave, go to bed early, rest, recharge, make all the testosterone for the next day while they're sleeping. Mm-hmm. Everything that we have been doing, I have been told to do with diet, fitness, and even corporate culture. It mimics that. It optimizes for that biological rhythm. And guess what? It disrupts our infradian rhythm. No way. way. Okay, okay. I need, I need more details. I'm like so the, dying. The <laughs> infradian rhythm affects six key systems of your body. Right. Your brain because we all think, oh, because well, we experience the infradian rhythm over the course of the month, right? So we experience circadian in the day, infradian over the course of the month. But it goes way beyond your period. And it's exciting because once you understand how this affects these systems of the body, you can really start to biohack like a woman. Because oh my that's, gosh, I love that. That's the other problem is this biohacking conversation is very one-sided. It's like get up early, drink your fancy coffee, do a huge workout, put yourself in a cold plunge, do all this stuff. That's really good if you have testicles. <laughs> okay. And it's not appropriate all the time if right. you have ovaries. And we are not having this specific, this biological rhythm specific conversation. We're just saying, well, this is working for me. And so I'm just going to say that it's going to work for everybody. And the research is only being done on men. And oh, by the way, most of the people who are having the conversation about biohacking are men. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that we as women need uh, our own healthcare, our own research, and our own uh, diet and fitness plans that are going to help optimize our biology. Right. So the infradian rhythm affects your brain, brain, your metabolism, your immune system, your microbiome, your stress response system, and your reproductive system. So if you're doing the wrong diet, the wrong exercise, working, burning yourself out all day long, you know, chasing that 24-hour clock, you're going to feel the negative impacts on your brain, your metabolism, your immune system, your microbiome, your stress response system, and your reproductive system. And this was the answer to the question, why is it that 50% of women are suffering with hormone and autoimmune issues when men are not? Because we are out of sync with our infradian rhythm and men are in sync with their biological rhythm. And I am simply suggesting in this new book, In the Flow, that we should not only do that, but I'm also giving you chart after chart of exactly what to do when because everybody when I get interviewed people are like okay well what's the, what should I eat and what's the best workout and I always say it isn't just the what it's the when mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's a timing a very precise set of timing that happens across this infradian cycle you have to be aware of so for example how does this affect your metabolism yeah right your metabolism is slower in the first half of your cycle, in the follicular and ovulatory phases. So you actually can get away with 
eating lighter, eating salads, eating things that are going to remind you of like, yeah, this is like healthy dieting or whatever, right? It's going to not feel so different. So this is the, the period literally right after you get your period. After you finish bleeding. Yeah. And then the ovulation weeks. stages. Yeah. Got so it. like those two weeks after you're done bleeding, right? Yeah. You need um, less calories. So you should eat lighter and... You can work out. You can do higher intensity interval training. Honestly speaking, I'm just going to interrupt because I have the, so like I love boxing. This is like my go-to workout. And I swear to you, it's during those two weeks, like forget it during my period. I feel like I'm just slower and I'm not performing at my best, but the two weeks afterwards, I feel like I'm at a champion. Yeah. Like I I have more. (laughs) Yeah. I can go to more classes during a week. Like I can, I can. And that's when you should push yourself. Go ahead, do your cardio, do your high-intensity interval training. It's going to utilize your fat stores efficiently, and it's going to build maximum amount of lean muscle that you are capable of depending on what you're eating, right? So that's metabolically the first half. In the second half, the luteal phase and and the bleeding week, right? You need more calories. Your metabolism speeds up. You need 237 more calories per day. Wow. It's not just like, uh, oh, yeah, you kind of need to have more because you're having your period. No, 237 measured necessary calories. And by the way, if you think that this is some nice idea that is not maybe something that's uh, a must do, I just want you to be aware that the U.S. women's soccer team is training their female athletes based on their infradian biological rhythm. It's just that effective for women. So in the second half, you need to eat more but you also need to work out less intensely. Not not work out, just work out less intensely. Mm -hmm. So that could look like Pilates, that could look like yoga, that could look like walking, that could look like strength training without a cardio element, Mm -hmm. like squats up against the wall or holding a plank position or things of that nature, right? Yeah. But no cardio. If you do the cardio in the second half of your cycle, you're going to turn on fat storage. Stop. And turn on muscle wasting. So this is important because that that whole culture that we've inherited of just do it, no pain, no gain, push yourself, stay committed, discipline, whatever, right? Again, real important if you get the testicles. If you get the ovaries, you don't want to just do it every day. You want to change every week what you're doing because at best you'll be if you do the same workout and eat the same amount of calories over the course of the month at the very best you'll have no change in Mm -hmm. lean muscle gain or weight utilization um energy whatever at worst you'll gain weight and you'll lose lean muscle. So I do have a question here. So say, for example, someone is an athlete, right? And like they're like, for example, the U.S. soccer team. Yeah. So like, do they take those two weeks off altogether? Like, how do you train? I, I speak a lot about this in chapter, which chapter is this exercise? Chap- chapter five is yeah. the exercise chapter. It's called work out less and get more fit. And I answer this question very directly, you right. know, so d- by no means does this mean that you are not fully capable of doing anything you want anytime. Right. What I'm suggesting is if you don't have, let's say, a meet that is has a date that you're not in control of, if you're not running the marathon on such and such a date 
that you have no control over. Mm -hmm. If it's just managing your personal training Mm -hmm. schedule, do it so that it's optimizing your physiology and your metabolism, Mm -hmm. period. Pun intended, right? Because the guys are doing this and they've been doing this for a long time. They're winning. Well, they're, they're feeling good. Yeah. You know, they know that if they wake up and do as much high intensity interval training as they can first thing in the morning when they have access to all that testosterone, they're going to put on as much lean muscle as they could possibly make. It's more efficient and effective for them to do it in the morning versus later in the day. So why would they do it later in the day? Well, you know what you're saying? It does make so much sense as well, because like, you know, there's like when, when you look at like workout plans for guys, right? Like, I feel like it's so straightforward. You do this and then you get this, right? But then a woman, it's like you do this, but you're not getting that. There's no guarantee because there's no guarantee because it's not designed for your biology. So fascinating. And I first encountered this because maybe 10 or 15 years ago, it must have been 15 years ago, the trend for w- young women to get fit was to train for a triathlon. Mm. And I would have these women come into my practice after they'd run the meet and done the meet, and they would say, I don't understand what happened. I was running, biking, and swimming multiple miles daily, weekly, eating the way that I was. my trainers told me to eat, you know? And I competed and, you know, did fairly well, but that they gained 20 pounds. It defies logic that a person who was running, swimming, biking, miles a day, every day for months, would gain any weight, Mm -hmm. let alone 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. And of course, the answer is the fact that when you train at the same intensity, ignoring your infradian rhythm, that's exactly what will happen. This is why women, you feel like you're putting all this effort in and you're not getting any results. You're working against your flow. I want you to get in the flow. Oh my gosh, I'm like dying to read your book now. It's, it's, I, I'm excited for women to read it yeah. because I want to set the record straight from a just scientific understanding point totally. of view that you are, you should not seek to be the same every day. Yeah. You should instead really understand that you need to be changing what you're doing four times a month. So then, okay, let's let's get into food a little bit. Sure. But like, wh- what about food? Because you talked about um, getting your blood sugar under control and like breakfast is where people go wrong. So like, let's elaborate on that a little bit. Sure. I mean, from the, so this solution that I'm talking about around, you know, optimizing for the infradian rhythm, it has a name. Mm -hmm. It's a name I created and trademarked. It's called the cycle syncing method. Mm -hmm. And the cycle syncing concept is where you change what you're eating, change how you're working out and even change what you're working on, right? Um, to optimize for this infradian rhythm. So you want to use food in a way that helps balance your hormones, keep them happy, keep your blood sugar happy, right? So in the cycle syncing process, in the food chapter, you're going to learn about which foods you should eat in the follicular and ovulatory phase that are going to help you keep blood sugar stable, um, metabolize estrogen, because we have that big estrogen surge during ovulation. So if you're somebody who's like getting that pimple during ovulation that's driving you crazy on your chin Mm -hmm. that has to do with your body's inability to break down estrogen and you can eat your way out of that you can support your body's ability to break down that estrogen and then in the second half of the cycle you're going to be learning which carbohydrates and foods and combinations of foods that are going to give you that extra caloric 
level that you need, but also that burn carbs very slowly so that you keep stabilizing blood sugar levels throughout that phase Mm -hmm. and keep your energy high, right? Because a lot of us feel like, oh, this is the time of the month where our energy just tanks, but that's only because you're not eating adequately for this phase of your cycle and your metabolism. Mm -hmm. So there are specific foods. There are specific quantities of foods. It's very, it's so easy. And there's a nice big chart in chapter four to make this so understandable for you. And there's a ton of recipes um, in the back of the book that help you get started. There's even a special quick start guide for you who, if you're ready to start cycle syncing and you understand, you can go to intheflowbook.com and download this really exciting monthly quick start guide to help you start making these shifts. Um, So that's the food piece. The other fun thing that I love sharing with women, aside from this metabolic shift and this caloric shift and how we need to train differently and eat differently, is this effect on our brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. So... In 1996, Dr. Catherine Woolley from Northwestern University did a groundbreaking bit of research showing that the female brain changes by up to 25% over the course of the month. Wow. So you are not the same person from a brain point of view week over week. Mm -hmm. And it's really exciting because the hormones that are fluctuating in each of these four phases stimulate the brain and different regions of the brain in different ways. Mm. So I like using the example of ovulation because we get this peak surge of estrogen that hyper stimulates the social and verbal centers of the brain. Oh, so, so you should be like basically doing more networking and like doing things with your friends and whatnot at exactly, that time. Exactly, because it's okay. going to be less stressful on your system. I see, okay. Right, because you're going to have the energy to do it, you're going to be in the mood to do it, and it's going to lift you up because it's going to be in alignment with what is happening in your body right now, right? In the luteal phase, we have a shift, And this is a phase where progesterone enters the brain conversation for the first time. And this is sort of a relaxing, focusing um, hormone that really incentivizes you or you feel really good. You feel rewarded when you finish things. Mm. So you can call that nesting, but, you know, I think we have this pregnancy association with that. So for those of you who are not pregnant and you're just young women, what it is is like, okay, I'm going to check things off my list and I'm going to say no to other things that are going to pull my focus. So this is not the phase of the month to do all the networking events if you can help it because it's going to drain you a little bit more than it would at other times. And, And then there, you know, the other two phases have their different gifts. The whole point of this is, again, men are playing to their the cognitive impact of testosterone fluctuation, right? They're doing it in a 24 hour period, but they're, they plan their deep work and their social time and their alone time within a 24 hour cycle. So they can be efficient and maximally productive with the least amount of stress and strain on their system. Right. I'm suggesting that you do the same because yeah. what happens and why women constantly report in that they're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and burnt out and unsatisfied is because if you're constantly working against the flow, you're, you're like actually slowing yourself down. You're making things harder. You're at, it's increasing your stress levels um, and you don't get as far or accomplish as much as efficiently as if you were working 
in the flow. Right. And this has a real stress impact because your cortisol patterns shift, of course, like 100%. I talked about before. Yeah. You have lower resting cortisol in the first half of your cycle, higher resting cortisol in the second half of your cycle. Interesting. So it's important to manage what you're doing so that you are not as stressed and getting things done and being a boss. Yeah, for sure. So going back to the food phase for sure. like a like one more question. So I know you've like, we've just sort of touched on intermittent fasting and you don't like it for women. There's one way to do intermittent fasting. What is that way? For in your reproductive years with an active infradian rhythm, which by the way, we have to talk about birth control for a minute. Yes. Yes. Um, with an active infradian rhythm, you can do intermittent fasting for precisely 12 hours. Okay. Yeah. So while most of which you will be sleeping. Yeah. So d- let's say you finish dinner at seven. Mm hmm. Don't eat until 7 a.m. And you should do that every day. Right. But do not push it past 12 hours. As soon as you push past 12 hours, the research shows you start moving into all the negative side effects. So there's also, I spoke to Dana James, who's like also like about nutrition and like basically the nutrition plans for women. And she said the same thing that she recommends people eat at the 12 hour mark. And like if they're going to intermittent fast then like doing it with like, you know, like a fat coffee or whatever, but like you need something in your body. Basically, you cannot just continue on because like I know like I've read the book which say like go 16 hours without eating one thing and like not for you for me it doesn't work like no. it could for my brother is great on it it's great for men yeah. and postmenopausal women right okay. if you have a period uh-huh. or you're in your reproductive years even if you're having period issues you can only safely do fasting for that 12 hour period most of which you'll be sleeping Got it. I, I love that you talk about that because like I, I do think like I, I agree with you. I, I couldn't go with eating just nothing. Like I have a bulletproof in the morning. How do you feel about that actually? Well, I I, I wrote extensively about caffeine intake and women mm-hmm. in the book. It's also in a blog um, on the website on flowliving.com. Um, it depends on your genetic variation on mm. the particular gene. So there's a gene called the CYP1A2 gene, mm-hmm. and it produ- it determines the extent to which you will produce an enzyme that breaks caffeine down in the body. Caffeine has a half-life of anywhere from 6 to 12 hours in a normal person, which means it stays in your system. Like you drink your coffee at 7 a.m., but it may still be in your system, that caffeine, until lunch or dinner time, depending on how much of this enzyme that you produce. For people, and it's over half of the population, they have a variation or a mutation in the CYP1A2 gene that creates a situation in which they do not make enough of that enzyme. And so they feel the effects of that caffeine for longer and more intensely. And this is called caffeine toxicity. You can look it up on the Mayo Clinic's website. Um, You will feel really badly if you are someone, you will quickly start to appreciate that you don't feel good on caffeine. The problem is that you may have become so desensitized to it and so accustomed to not feeling good Um, that you think that it isn't the caffeine. A lot of anxiety that young women feel, um, should, it's, it's worth doing an experiment of removing the caffeine because one of the signs of caffeine toxicity is anxiety, Mm. heart palpitations, things that feel like a panic attack. Yeah. So 
it would be very worth your while if there's something that is bothering you um, to remove caffeine altogether, even if you're doing it in an upgraded way. Um, we are the only culture on the planet that drinks coffee on an empty stomach. Every other culture uses caffeine, whether it's tea or a coffee product, as a digestive aid after a meal. Mm -hmm. So for us to put it on an empty stomach is fundamentally really abnormal mm -hmm. and does spike your blood sugar, less so if you put a fat in it like an MCT oil, yeah. but it's still having an insulin impact. Right. If you have PMS or period problems, I would not recommend that that be your breakfast yeah. or be something that you do on an empty stomach ever. And if you're somebody who's struggling with anxiety or insomnia, you may very well have this gene mutation and it would be a great experiment for you to remove the caffeine and see how much better you do. Mm -hmm. Nine times out of 10 women feel so much better. They feel like they have their brain back, their energy back, their mood back. And they just couldn't believe that it was this caffeine toxicity. Yeah, I mean, it happens. Like, I like I have friends who've removed it and they, they're better. Like, I, I did a 21-day detox last year and I removed, like, different sorts of, like, potential irritants. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, I was okay with caffeine. Some people are fine. Thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, like, people say that, like, thankfully, like, you know, so for me, people ask, I've been caffeine-free for 20 years, wow. dairy-free, sugar-free, gluten-free yeah. for 20 years. And people are like, oh, don't you miss it? And, and I, I just want to give the perspective that when you ingest something that makes you feel bad. Of course, you don't want to do it. You don't miss it. You have an aversion to it. So yeah, I love, I, I occasionally enjoy the smell of it, but I never am like, oh, wow, I wish I could drink coffee. Never, not once. Yeah. I, mean, I just, just feel so bad. A hundred percent. When I have it. So yeah. I just haven't had it for a long time. So you like, we, we do have to talk about birth control before we wrap. And I'm like looking at, we're almost at an hour. Like I could speak to you for a year I've got to do a retreat I really do you you really do <laughs> but yeah let's talk about birth control because again like I feel like this is not mainstream knowledge and people go on birth control they stay on birth control and they don't even know because it's prescribed like it's skittles no one cares you know and yeah. we don't have the proper information well listen we we can't criticize the medical profession, you know, doctors are trained to prescribe medication and perform surgical procedures. Yeah. That's what they're trained to do. And trust me, you want to be with a good doctor when something goes sideways. A hundred percent. So I, I have nothing but love for conventional medicine. Um, what I think the challenge is, you know, in going back to my own experiences, it doesn't make good sense to take a medication that doesn't cure something, mm -hmm. right? It's just not the best approach. It could be a good second best approach. But if you're somebody who wants to like be well, you know, you don't want to just manage your symptoms. You want to get to the root cause. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, that's what like, for example, if you have an, a bacterial infection and you take an antibiotic, the antibiotic cures the bacterial infection. It's overdone, done. But for things of the hormonal nature, it becomes this chronic systemic thing and it's just not as efficient as a treatment. So yeah. that's the first thing. The other thing you have to realize is that when you are taking synthetic birth control, whether that's a ring or an implant or the oral medication, um, it's A, it's not fixing your period problems and B, you're not having a real period 
when you have your breakthrough bleed. It's not a period. And C, it's shutting down your infradian rhythm. And so you don't have access to all of this extraordinary shifts that you should have access to for the four decades while your infradian rhythm is active. Wow. It's a huge opportunity cost. So not only are you not taking something that's really fixing you, but then you're totally being deprived. like a part of your system. Your your biological operating system. You're shutting that down. And um, the the consequences of that are pretty profound. Um, So Dr. Sarah Hill just came out with a book. I quote her in one of the, the, the... the, t- the chapter on birth control. And she really found that you are not even the same person on birth control. You, you are, you are sh- your personality shifts pretty profoundly when you're on it. And of course it makes sense when we look at it through the lens of the infradian rhythm. You don't have access to the same social and verbal s- stimulation that you would normally have. You don't have the same access to this get it done attitude. You are not creatively who you are organically. And I cannot tell you, after 20 years of working with women, many of whom get off this medication, um, that within six months, they have this uh, renaissance, this resurgence of all this creative energy, this passion for things. They find their life's purpose. I mean, it's that profound. Um, And they feel like they're on mission Mm -hmm. in their lives again. And I think... uh, if more women understood what the opportunity cost was, you know, and just compared like what you gain versus what you lose, more women would not go down this rabbit hole in the first place and Mm -hmm. seek out a more holistic, natural support to really start to address these issues because you're eventually going to have to do that anyway, right? Let's say you're 20 and you're like, well, I just want to be on the pill now because I'm not thinking about having kids and my period's such a pain in the butt and Mm -hmm, I don't want to deal with this. Okay, great. So you're going to miss out on a whole bunch of stuff. Most importantly, a full decade to 15 years, right, of you having the time because your body needs time to heal, right? You're depriving yourself of the time. Then you, let's say you find your life partner, you get married, whatever you do, and you want to have a kid, you come off the medication and oh, by the way, your cycle doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. It's worse than it was before. You have idiopathic infertility. You are now freaking out about running out of time to have a kid. This I have seen way too many times and it's not something that's being discussed. So your whatever is happening with your period today, if it's not functioning properly, don't sweep it under the carpet because it it is go, it, telling you right now the state of affairs of your future fertility. And mm-hmm. if having children is something that's on the future horizon for you, take action in your 20s, medication free from a birth control point of view to get your cycle regular and healthy. Yeah, I love that. I love and that. for preventing of pre- prevention of pregnancy point of view, there's so much that you can do. Um, there's there are um, devices that track precisely when you're ovulating, when you're having that surge. You can use double barrier methods. You can you could use an inserted copper IUD, which doesn't disrupt your infradian rhythm, doesn't secrete any hormones. You still ovulate and menstruate. Um, there are plenty of other options yeah. if you want to prevent pregnancy, if you're super concerned about that. Yeah. But keep in mind, 
it's so for women who are dealing with infertility, they will tell you it's so hard to get pregnant in the first place. This fear mongering that you got in your sex ed class about you could get pregnant anytime if somebody <laughs> looks at you sideways is not true. Your egg is only viable for 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so it's, true. It's a small window. And if you know when the egg is active, you can either abstain or use double barrier methods, mm-hmm. um, something like a sponge or a diaphragm and condoms, and you'll be fine. fine yeah. <laughs> okay. Last question, since we're already on birth control, let's go the opposite way um, or the same way, I guess. But what, like, how can you work with your infradian rhythm to amp up your sex life? Oh, I love talking about this. I'm so glad you asked this question because I found in my research that 60% of women um, report that they are sexually unsatisfied. Right. 60%. So that's, again, unacceptable to me, right? Your pleasure, your ability to have orgasms is actually very, very important to your hormonal health. There's huge health benefits that I detail in the book. Mm-hmm. What's really exciting is instead of you feeling like, you know, it's a mystery, like, gee, why was it fireworks last week? And this week it's kind of flat and criticizing yourself, like something's wrong with me, something's wrong with my sex drive. Um, You again are just not being given the correct information. The correct information is that your sexual response and your libido, your sex drive and your physical sexual response changes across the infradian rhythm. So you should know that what you have absorbed, whether you've watched pornography or not, your partner, if especially if you're in a heterosexual relationship with a guy who's watched a lot of porn, he's bringing those expectations into your consciousness, whether it's overtly or not, because he may have an expectation, for example, that you should be wet immediately or climax quickly. There's really one phase of the cycle where you will have sort of that immediate lubrication, that's ovulation. It it has nothing to do with your partner. It's just that you are secreting cervical fluid continuously during (laughs) ovulation. So you're just wet, right? Whether sexual activity is happening or not. Right. Um, And then because you are primed for procreation in that phase, you are also sexual desire is heightened by a surge of testosterone um, and your uh, ability to achieve orgasm is faster, right? Mm. That's not the same. There are two wet phases and two dry phases. You need to know which of the dry phases because it is not that something's wrong with you. It's just that it's wrong that you didn't bring the lube t- 